welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. And for those who enjoy a nice cold beverage while watching the sunset or simply drinking coffee on the way to work, Technip FMC is giving away a Yeti tumbler to one lucky winner. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information for a chance to win. Well, welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon with Jim Jones, Chief Marketing Officer at Riot Wireless. Jim, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, exciting to be here. Yeah, well, you mentioned it's your first time podcasting, so are you uh, yeah, nervous? You're breaking me in. I'm trying to catch up to my kids. Okay, well, <laughs> you said you were out till the wee hours of the morning, you know, practicing, so that was I good. Was. <laughs> yeah, so you may be a little foggy this morning, but you look good, and you look like you're ready to get on the I'm mic. Ready. So yeah, that's great. And again, so we kind of started talking about this, and I was like, no, we got to you know stop telling the story because I want to put it on the podcast. But a big shout out to Tad, um, Dad, and how yeah. do you pronounce his last? Langang. Langang. Yes. So this gentleman reached out to me on LinkedIn. Again, power of LinkedIn. I love it. This gentleman reached out and started telling me about some of the stuff we're going to talk about today, some of the unique technologies that you guys offer. And just said, hey, if you ever want to talk about this stuff on the podcast, let me know. And for those out there who have reached out and haven't had a chance to respond, the amount of inbound requests, and I'm humbled by it, but it's like mathematically, it's hard to keep up with everything that I get, you know, just like requests, hey, let's meet or get on the podcast. Well, that has been relentless in engaging with me. And oftentimes it takes me a while to get back to him. But so a big shout out to Thad. He's the one who made this happen. How do you know that? He is relentless. Yeah. And that's why I hired him. And that was a good hire. You know, it it was 30 years ago. We worked in the semiconductor, high tech. We designed the chips. We sold the software for hundreds of thousands of dollars for this. Mm-hmm. And at a trade show, someone says, hey, you got met a fellow Boilermaker, Purdue okay. University guy. I'm like, oh, okay. And he asked me where I live. And I said, well, I live in Southern California. He says, where? Costa Mesa. Oh, my parents live in Costa Mesa. And then he goes, so what church do you go to? St. Simon Jude. Uh, so do my parents. No way. <laughs> and so what a we, small world. we always would connect all the time. Yeah. And I'd pick him up in an airport and Thad is very engaging. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's three other people in the car that I picked up to go to this trade show. And he talks to these people on the curb. Oh, you go on the show? You know, a guy picking me up. Why don't you get in the car with this? And, nice. You know, we got a whole team of people and, you know, <laughs> we started the sales process already. So it's like. He's perfect for this. Has the technical background for our type of product. Yeah. Because it's the technology that we brought into the oil and gas. And it's a very disruptive business because we cut the price of these sensors probably down to a third, which means at each wellhead now you can have a sensor and you can monitor your tank level fluids. Excellent. And we'll get more into the technical aspect and all the you know value propositions. But yeah, big shout out to Thad. Where is he? How come he's not here? He's working. Well, someone has yeah. to. Yeah. Well, we need to get a few more people on board. We go in separate directions and both of us are at the same place. Same yeah. Time. Hey, divide and conquer, yeah. right? We're over at Intellect trade show by the convention center great group of people yeah all the oil and gas guys are there the guys that know how to hook up everything wow get communication in fact we had a lively conversation about how come we haven't done this before and i had to explain to him well how much are those other sensors hmm. oh they're twenty five hundred dollars can you put that on a hundred gallon tank 
We could, but I'd probably get fired on the ROI. Okay, that's why we're doing this now. Because no doubt we, you know, brought modern technology into it and lowered the cost, and it's designed for explosive environment. And that's the other thing people don't know how to do. Fascinating. So, so is this? Uh, have you been to Houston before? Yes, been to Houston. Great city. Great yeah. times. Yeah. I had some steak last night, so oh, I'm happy. Yeah. You can't go wrong with having steak down here in Houston. And you don't remember where you were. Somewhere's downtown, you said? Shame on me, but I nah, can't it's remember. Okay. There's about 8,000 restaurants downtown, yeah. so that's fine. There's quite a few good ones. And then where's the conference at? It's at the convention center. At the convention Across the street from the Hilton. So it must be pretty big then. Like, does I, it take there's up? several hundred people, but... Yeah. When you talk about the people that deal with the technology and stuff, it's the right group of people. Cool. We're all in one room. Yeah. And you always bumping into someone you need to be talking to. And you can't, you know, sort of have informal conversations. And we had a lively session last night. Yeah. You know, two different groups in these big oil companies. They haven't talked and you're getting them to talk. And oh, it's, getting them to, oh, I love that. To come together and move forward on projects. Yep. It's really important to have events like this. It is. And that's, I have an appreciation for more niche style conventions. We had one, you know, me being on the drilling fluid side of things, we had the American Association of Drilling Engineers Fluids Conference last week downtown. And yeah, it's just everyone you run into, there's always good conversation and meaningful conversation because you're all, you know, part of the same ecosystem and everyone's trying to, you know, strive, innovate and you know develop technologies or you know make deals or whatever and it's fun right and then but then i you know i can appreciate too the big ones like the otcs and you have everyone and their dog there you could have everyone from a finance group down to you know someone like you guys and so it's more of like just broad networking but that's really cool and so is it here every year or does it bounce around or i think they have a couple times a year it was actually a customer of mine that's on the board he's like jim you're gonna be at our show and i'm like yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, I'll drop everything to make sure I'm yeah. there. Yeah. And, and it was <laughs> I very get it. productive for us. Awesome. Because many times you have these big conferences. Yeah. You know, one out of every 20 is important to you. Oh, yeah. Probably eight out of 10 is important to me at this conference. Yeah. yeah. So that's a very interesting topic you brought up. And I was with a gentleman who I'd like to kind of not mention his name, but him and his company used to be at every single trade show. You know, they would have a booth and they would be at this conference and that conference. Well, now, and especially since, you know, the pandemic is, I don't know if you want to say behind us or whatever, but for the most part, it's like everyone's out doing things and conferences and in person. And now it's like, if you look at, you know, say an energy calendar, there's literally a conference in every part of the world every single week of the year. And it got to a point where this gentleman and his company, their CEO said, I'm done with this. Like we are literally flying people all over the world that don't need to be at all these conferences. Like I want to go to like, you know, one or two conferences a year max. And so now they're like very selective and strategic in which conferences they attend just because you could spend all year on a plane flying from conference to conference. It's insane. And, and you feel good. You get all these leads, you go through them and there's two. Right, right. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and again, no, not knocking conferences, like they're amazing, but it's, I think companies now are starting to realize like, okay, where, and because, you know, likely budgets are, you know, even though everyone thinks because oil is at $100, everyone's just laughing all the way to the bank. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the case. And people still have to be disciplined with their capital. And conferences and flying people around is not cheap. And the other nice thing about this conference, it brings people together to talk about standards. 
mm. way things are done. And, you know, I come out of Silicon Valley. I'm not from Silicon Valley. I'm from Southern California at Origins in the oil business. Yeah. And I realized the Silicon Valley guys did not understand the oil and gas business and how rugged it is and how hard it is to make products for it. Yeah. And you get better appreciation when you sit down and work with the people so you make the right products for very cool and i want to get into that but even before that so you know now that you've kind of take the cat out of the bag so you're from southern california and you live now in casa where is it costa mesa costa mesa okay nice and so yeah are you coast up on the mesa nice nice no i was telling you before my wife and i and two kids went to disneyland for spring break and we had an absolute blast it was so much fun it's a great time yeah it was beautiful the weather of course you know southern california weather the ocean breeze yeah no we went to huntington beach and laguna beach and my kids if i didn't take them out of the water even though it was probably i don't know it was maybe and i'm from canada so i'm gonna say it was probably like 15 degrees 10 degrees celsius like the water was pretty cold even uh, the water for me. the water it comes down from alaska yeah yeah so but that said my kids were in it loving it having a great time i was freezing my butt <laughs> off i'm pretty sure they'd still be in the water right now like a month later if i hadn't pulled them out but such a cool spot i just had an absolute my blast. daughter when she was probably four turned purple <laughs> and my yeah. sister saw it and brought her to me and says I think she has to be out of the water and she starts crying. I'm like, come here, let me warm you up. (laughs) No kidding. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. But but, uh, the interesting thing about, you mentioned Huntington Beach. Huntington Beach used to be a big oil field. They had derricks on the beach. What? And, you know, if you look across PCH, these these beautiful estuaries and stuff, they were all oil fields. No kidding. So the oil companies that actually preserved this from the growth of Los Angeles and when they finally pulled out of those fields, the government bought them up to be estuaries, parks, and whatnot. And I always laugh to this day. In fact, just on one section of part of Costa Mesa are some of the last oil fields, but it's going to be a park. Yeah. So the oil companies are actually preserving the land that you know people are protesting, but right. they turn them into parks because no one could develop. See, those are the stories that need to be told. It's yeah. just it's fascinating to hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. And- a lot of folks within oil and gas and energy know that California has some very deep roots in oil and gas. You know, a lot of production for the U.S. at one point came mostly out of California. Let me ask you this. Do you ever think that it'll get back to producing like a bunch of energy or oil and gas out of California? You know, it's interesting. California loves its tax revenue. Yeah. And like Bakersfield, 100 years of oil fields just pumping money into the economy. They recently had this pipeline that got hit by an anchor offshore. Mm. The oil company wanted to shut down the platform, but California said no. Right. See, we, they wanted the tax revenue from it. So we're in a very tight situation. I point out to people, we're down to one power plant in Orange County. One. One real power plant. I mean, they got peakers and all this other little stuff around. But yeah. They depend on stuff being imported over power lines that stretch from Texas to here. Yeah. But they have hit the wall on the energy game. They were going to tear down the old power plant. They built a new power plant. The old power plant's still standing because they need the steam turbines, the gas turbines, actually down to the gas turbines. But yeah, they wouldn't let them tear down the old power plant. So I think energy will make its comeback. We're investing $3,000 per rate holder install upgraded power lines for charging stations and that's just the tip of the iceberg so i yeah. think people will wake up and understand the importance of oil and gas now the nice thing about oil and gas most people don't realize 
it was oozing out of the ground. Mm. So the oil companies took the pressure off the the oil fields. Yeah. So yeah, uh, in no, some it's, way it's clean. It's such a controversial topic, and I just my goal is to just you know bring light to the fact that I think it requires all forms of energy to make everyone's wildest dreams come true, which is including our clothes, right? Yeah. You know, it's always like, Oh, I always find it funny. You know, when you get extremes on both sides, nothing gets done. Right. But you know, one side's, Oh, you know, if, if it wasn't for oil and gas, you, you wouldn't be driving or, you know, walking cause you wouldn't have rubber for your shoes. And yes, like that obviously is important. And then on the other side, it's, you know, big, bad fossil fuel. And, you know, it's, we got to get rid of it, like just stop. And now we're, we, everyone in the state has to have electric lawnmowers. And while like the intent is good on both sides, it's like, we need to have constructive conversations to like realize that if we could just all help each other, I think that would be the ultimate goal, which I would imagine for most people in the world is to like somehow come up with a way to provide electricity and energy for the entire planet. Like that should right. be, the that should be the North star is like, how can we get people who have barely access to clean water? How do we get them affordable, reliable and abundant energy? Right. And if it comes from solar, great. Right. If it comes from, you know, because they live in a space where there's a bunch of water, you know, hydro. Awesome. Oh, they've got some natural gas sitting underneath them. Drill some wells. Like, yeah, don't let it leak out of the ground and blow up your house. <laughs> yeah. And we tap it and use it to heat your house. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I know I'm going down a rabbit hole, but yeah. I, I like having good constructive conversations like the one, you know. We're too polarized and we need to stop the polarization. Yes. You know, there's red and there's blue, but I think most people are purple. Right in the middle. They're purple. Right. And so like, I'm just trying to spread the purple heart around, man. And I laugh at a few things like we need to clean up the air. So we got rid of carbon monoxide. It was polluting and... You know, you couldn't see the sun and we were going to have global cooling. So we put Kellogg converter instead of having CO, we have CO2. Yeah. And now CO2 is the boogeyman. Yeah. And it's like just <laughs> we're chasing uh, our tail. And, and you're talking about water, right? Fresh water. What we do is chlorinate it the, so we don't get infections. Yeah. And now, you know, chlorinated water is the boogeyman. And it's like. I know you have to laugh, right? And I think it just, it's up to us as people just to hold ourselves accountable and then do your own damn research. You know, just try to educate yourself a little bit to where you can make some good justified choices or decisions or, you know, positions instead of just all this headline craziness that's always been pumped around. But anyway, I digress. Let's move on because <laughs> I don't want to run out of time because you're obviously here for a reason right. to talk about Riot Wireless. Right, so right. you're from Southern California, right? Originally? No, I'm originally from Pittsburgh where they made steel. Oh, jeez. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. I lived in Pittsburgh in 2010. Yeah. I went from Calgary, Alberta, which is where I'm originally from, and then moved to Pittsburgh when the Marcellus Shale boom kicked off. But anyway. We used to have steel mills there. Yeah. No, I drove by a bunch of them. It's, yeah. What a fascinating, and and again, so much history there in Pittsburgh. It's cool. And at one time, coal was the environmentally safe option. Compared to what? Well, they were burning 10 acres of trees to make a ton oh, of steel. Yeah, biomass. And, and I mean, they were wiping out the forest and they discovered coal. Yeah. And the coal was a saver to the environment. No And way. now it's another boogeyman. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff we should do to clean up coal. Sure. And there's a lot of stupid stuff we did with coal. Right. But it is a very powerful tool. It is. It's so, yeah, the amount of energy that's just packed in those little black rocks is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Okay, so, and then when did you move to California? Or I went to Purdue. Okay. Got my double E degree. Yeah. And I was one big electrical manufacturer, had a job opening in Chicago or Anaheim, and I was 23 at the time. 
Where would you go? Hell yeah, Anaheim <laughs> all the way. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So 23, head to Anaheim, lived the West Coast life. And I was in the industrial portion. I was servicing the big oil refineries. We handled the big equipment, the steam turbines, yeah. going up to Bakersfield to the oil fields, making sure they were up and running. There's some serious equipment on some of these big wells. And then someone looked at me and said, yeah, if you're going to work this hard, you should work in high tech. And then I shifted over to high tech and we did semiconductors design and yeah. manufacturing of semiconductors. So Excellent. Uh, okay. And then, you know, someone said to me, yeah, instead of always being on the leading edge of technology, why don't you figure out how to use trailing edge technology and really improve a lot of the processes? Mm. And it was identified in the oil fields. There's a lot of problems. You can't get to an oil field. Yeah. You know, there isn't a Cat 4 wire runner across the oil field. There's not even power. So yep. we started designing stuff that was battery-based that you could screw in, plug and play. And, you know, we knew how to scale products and scaling these solutions is important. So that's where we started focusing. So back to the oil fields. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. And so how did you then transition into Riot Wireless becoming the chief marketing officer? So our president, Tim Slifkin, and I had worked in the past. He saw how I can bring products to market. I can work with people. Mm. You got to understand their requirements. Yeah. And, you know, guys from Silicon Valley like to show up and tell you what to do. Mm. I will ask what needs to happen. Yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff in the oil fields. You know, people will accuse the oil people of being backwards and stuff. Actually, there are a lot of innovators there. Mm. I mean, to move that much product and that type of stuff, there's a lot of innovation in there. And a lot of times they lead it, but the biggest problem is you got to listen. Yeah. And you got to understand the problems. Right. No kidding. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Riot Wireless then. What is it that you offer and how is it changing the game? So Riot Wireless makes a platform. There's this word IOT. Ah. And I hate the word IOT. Why? Because <laughs> everyone has something that's IOT. Yeah. It's great when you talk to investors and go, oh, IOT. Okay. We got some money for you. Yeah. But I mean, your laptop in front of you is an IoT device, right? Yeah. Technically. Yeah. We all have IoT in our pockets. Pockets. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's like, okay, how do I differentiate myself? Well, yeah. There's some new sayings that we do industrial IoT. Okay. And industrial IoT is where we focus. We look at the wireless platforms. Can we run on batteries? We actually made a platform. Our first product is a tank level monitor, which sounds pretty boring. But as you know, in the oil field, you know, if you run out of mud, your driller can be mad at you. Right. So there's a lot of heavy oils out there. They put chemicals down in the well to suspend the oil so it's easier to transport it. Mm. If they run out of those chemicals, you know, the well, a lot of times these are heavy oils. And they'll gum up your well <laughs> really uh, well. Right, right. <laughs> and, there's, there's a huge cost associated with running out of chemicals and a lot of downtime and, and, and if you run out of chemicals of and you got a field with three thousand, how mm. do you know which tank's empty yeah and we had a customer he had guys they all had dipsticks and you're like you're driving an f-150 driving around in an oil field all day long writing on a notepad oh yeah are we do we have fluid do we not have fluid oh yeah and many times you'd run out you screw this thing in plug it in and one oil field, we eliminated 10 guys because you didn't need 10 guys driving around putting dipsticks in. Yeah. No, that's... And you're not screwing up your equipment in the well because suddenly it's now tar. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and there's tons to unpack there. 
and you know whether that's how many folks you've taken out of the field you know the safety aspect you know the quality control the savings the accuracy in which you're treating whatever the case is but i want to start with just you know on a sort of a very high level with regards to automation most people in oil and gas don't want to be in the early adoption group due to risks it presents but arguably automation is in the early majority stage in most industries while i would say oil and gas is still relatively in the early adoption stage across the board. Correct. Why do you think that is? What they do is really tough, and way too many people have shown up with what they think the solution is without knowing the problem. Mm. And simple things like, we make this box. What's the most important thing on here? It's a one-inch NTP, so you can screw the thing in the top of the tank and walk away. Right. I'll see sensors being advertised, and they have a cone or something. You can't put that on a tank. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and the oil guys look at that. Are they making it out of the wrong plastic? This device is for the explosive environments. We can drop this whole thing in sulfuric acid, pull it out an hour later, screw it in, and, and it works. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. And you mutters, you know, they'll take the tank lid off and throw it to the side, and, you know, we pick it up, screw it in. We have it in Alberta, Canada, where it's minus 40. Oh, yeah. And my customer sent me a picture of the snow had melted and frozen, and essentially it was in an ice block. Yeah. And I sent back a note, does the radio work? Because it was in an ice block. He says, yeah, we got signals through the the top of it. Okay. They were able to get the data. But people were actually at this show showing plastics that if they're in the Houston sun for a year, you just tap on the whole thing sort of cracks away. Yeah. But there's a lot of things they don't understand about it. We focused on solving problems, even things like everyone thinks ultrasound's pretty simple, but some of these teal, tanks are stainless steel. Some of them are steel, some are plastic. You're going to ping sound in there and figure out, you know, what your tank level is. Yeah. You need to have good processing power in here. And this runs on a C-cell battery for five years. You got to know how to process that signal and send your message and turn off. Yeah. You do that once an hour for five years. It's quite an accomplishment. Huh. That's fascinating. And for those listening, obviously we're not on YouTube here, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a selfie here with Jim and he's going to hold up this device here. Hold on. Here we are taking an action. Oh, let me get the camera set up properly here. There we go. There it is. I can see Mr. Jim there. Yep. And then I'll even zoom in here. I know listeners hang tight. We're doing some stuff here. There it is. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. No, that's really cool. You can see some of the labeling. In the explosive environment, they even dictate to you what your labeling looks like mm-hmm. and what the labeling material is so it doesn't rub off. Yeah. Because yep. if you're out in the sun five years, you got to be able to read the label. Well, like they always told me when I was still in the field is a roughneck can, I'm not going to use the colorful language, but <laughs> a roughneck can screw up basically about anything regardless. And so it's, and kind of going back to your point, I think a lot of folks come to the table with solutions that work well, either in a lab setting or a very controlled environment. But when you have, whether, you know, folks out in the field who are used to beating things up and smashing things with sledgehammers, they're not going to handle anything lightly. uh, Break the... Yeah, exactly. It's everything has to be extremely rugged and built tough to be able to withstand whether it's extreme weather, whether it's just rough handling, anything, right? And I think a lot of people don't, when they're going through their 
iteration stages of product development, I don't think they beat things up enough. <laughs> uh, well, they don't. And they actually turns out it's my first objection because it's a radio to go, you know, 10 miles, five to 10 miles. And the first thing people go is, where's your antenna? I says, it's inside the box. And they're like, well, how are you going to go five miles? And I point to their cell phone. I said, where's the antenna? It's in the phone and it's not for looks. Yeah. It's for the technology as such. The antenna should be inside, but people still put on the antenna on the outside. And to your point, do you know what a roughneck will do to an antenna? <laughs> yeah. And They'll- then they appreciate the power supplies inside. And there's, you know, in explosive environments, like $100 a foot to put in wiring. And you realize there's no wiring. Right. And your thing you have to talk to is five miles away. And you just screw it in and push a button on your cell phone and it's running. Yeah. I mean, it opens up a lot of people's eyes that suddenly wake, oh, we can scale with this technology. I watch other technologies, you know, they can put three units in in a day. And our device, you know, one device goes in in two minutes. Yeah. No, you that's... go to the next well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the value is obviously there. So is this technology and device, was it sort of adopted from another industry? Because a lot of things in oil and gas come from other industries. And so I'm curious if like anything else is similar is out in the other industries. So to your point, there's a lot of neat things that Silicon Valley makes. Right. Yes. Like Apple Apple phones. They make Apple phones. (laughs) Well, all those guys make their own semiconductors, right? Yeah. So... The oil and gas industry, you know, there's billions of phones now, right? Yeah. So you can actually build a chip that costs $100 million to design. In the oil and gas industry, we're not there. But they actually make chip-level products with quality processors in them that can take the temperature ranges. Hmm. And you got to design for that. And you put that in there and you can solve a lot of problems. we got really bright guys on the software end. They talk about writing the software to metal, which is probably the most efficient way, would count coulombs. You got a C-cell battery, got to turn on a radio. I mean, wait, you can get your phone now to run for two days. Yeah. Well, you want me to run this for five years. Wow. So, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah, that's fascinating. So talk a little bit about, you know, cybersecurity and that aspect. I mean, anytime you bring wireless or things this to market, I would imagine that there has to be some consideration on the security aspect right correct and so there's an industry standard we're running this unlicensed band in 900 megahertz and there's a group called the lore alliance to put together protocols so that we all use the same protocols this is part of getting together trade shows and putting stuff together yeah it's a 32-bit encryption Okay. And what what it, does that mean to the average person? Because I have no idea what that, that means. That means pretty good encryption. Okay. There's always, you know, I want 128 bit, and then you got to set them down and go, we're monitoring tanks. Is that. Russia might want this information. That Russia might want this information. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> and of course, you have to be close enough to get the radio signal. Yeah. But obviously, you've done your due diligence to know, okay, we're safe that this level. We're safe. There are some arguments still ongoing. Like, you know, they came to us and said, you know, the standard was really set for one-way communications. The standard finally came around with two-way communications. So we implement two-way communications, and then our customers said, oh, we don't want two-way. Hmm. We don't want someone reporting down to this device to do something it's not supposed to do. 
Right. We only want an outgoing signal. So we're stalled with one-way communications. Some people want two-way, but when they think it out and do you want to shut down an oil refinery? No. <laughs> right. No, that's big dollars. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, big yeah. dollars. Crazy. And this kind of goes back to, you mentioned taking folks out of the field, which right now oil and gas is that there's a huge push for that, especially on the drilling side, you know, being able to drill wells from the office, being able to monitor things from the office to where you just less people in the field equals or safety, right? Yep. Ultimately. But what's your argument, just generally speaking, or your response for when people argue the point regarding automation is here to take everybody's jobs? I've been in technology for 40 years. I have not seen jobs go away. Right. I worked in the defense business helping the design airplanes. I brought automation tools. Mm. And everyone's worried about, we got this new NC machining thing. We're going to need less machinists. And then someone points out, well, you now need a programmer for the NC machine. You need someone now to fix it. And then you now make more sophisticated planes. They pointed out when they first started making jet fighters, only 20% of the fuselage was full. And now in the modern jet fighters, 80% of the fuselage is full. Hmm. And how do you design and get everything in that plane without these tools? They're great enablers that get us to the next level. Right. How many processes are in a car now? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. especially, and then, you know, thinking forward, like this the automation, like the self-driving cars and all that. Like That's amazing. Yeah, no, I wish I could not have to drive a, a single mile for the rest of my life. Like the amount of work and how productive I could be if I didn't have to drive anywhere would be amazing. Yes. So anyway, I'm rooting for Elon or Uber or whoever to come out with the first self-driving yes. car that I can either have a subscription for, because I think that may be the future is like having a subscription model, like Uber self-driving situation. Right. But anyway, can we please get that going? <laughs> and then it'll probably take me a year or two afterwards to get comfortable with it. Because oh, of course, I'll still have one eye up looking to see if the machine's making the right. Oh, yeah. Decision. I, I'm sure there's going to be some bumps and bruises along the ways. And, you know, which is sad because when people's lives are at risk, you know, that's always tough. But when it gets to a point where it's safe and everyone's floating around in their <laughs> whatever's right. it's gonna be pretty cool for sure so what's the future look like for riot wireless i mean what does your vision look like for, well for the it, it straight up i was gonna look up these numbers there's billions of tanks addressable market is probably 25 million tanks <laughs> and that's just in the tank and then do you want to do flow right you know people talk about methane we gotta know where the leaks are Mm -hmm. And the oil companies are aggressively going after these type of problems. Oh, yeah. You know, people forget if you're out offshore working on an oil rig, you really like nature. I mean, it's actually cool to be out there. Yeah. You're not interested in a spill or anything else. and Nobody wants that. Right. No yeah. one wants that. And sustainability is part of having a tank level monitor. Well, eventually tanks leak. In fact, there's jokes about these guys putting the dipstick in. They put it in so many times they actually end up punching a hole in the bottom of the tank. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And to that point, and again, being in the field for a few years, yeah, same thing with, you know, with the dipsticks. A lot of times, or at least when I was in the field, they were wooden. And you'd look at the bat and it would start at like three inches. It's like, because <laughs> exactly. you've beaten the crap out of the bottom of it so many times. And then you're dipping it in, you know, fluids that are eating away at the material or whatever. And so it's, then you're having to compensate for the amount of Do I add loss. three or subtract three yeah. from the number? Yeah, and when it's two in the morning and you've been up for two days, the last thing you want to do is figure out you know, tank volumes exactly. and then making a big mistake because you've reported something incorrectly. 
And then it's, you know, crap data in, crap data out. And it just, you know, it's a cascade effect. But yeah, I mean, I've had... But to your point, (laughs) the data. Everyone talks about their fancy glass walls with all their data on it. (laughs) When do I order the truck and how do I optimize the truck getting there? What they forget is, where does the data come from? Right. So the importance of having the right quality sensor that reliably tells you an answer. Yeah. I mean... Too many times you go, the idiot light came on and you ignore it. Right. Well, this time it wasn't the idiot light. So having good, accurate tools yeah. that get you the data right the first time. Because mm. let's face it, you got hire specialized trucks to deliver product to yeah. the fields. Yeah. It might take two weeks to get a truck. Right. And if you're out, your customer's going to be really pissed at you. Yeah. If you're the chemical supplier and, yeah, we ordered a truck, but... You know, there's a trucker shortage. and Well, and again, because of that challenge that we face, not just in oil and gas, but just across the nation and globally, there's, you know, shortage of logistics. And so now that, you know, the entire value change has just been completely flipped on its head. But what I see too is being able to collect accurate data to then do predictive analyses to where then you can, you know, have trucks lined up and be, you know, just have it everything very much, you know, a well-oiled machine, no pun intended, I think there's, you know, if you kind of think big picture, that I think is where a lot of the value is as well. And so a lot of times these days, because the chemicals are so important, I was talking to one of the chemical manufacturers and they have customers in California. I says, I didn't see your plant in California. He says, oh yeah, we ship it from Houston. And I said, an 18 wheeler. I said, so it's real good to get this correct. He says, yeah, especially when we ship an extra 18-wheeler because we don't want to piss off any customers. Yeah. And we might ship that 18-wheeler back full because That's crazy. it is absolutely crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, and there's ways around it if it's, yeah, if you can gather and organize the right information and so plan that, it properly. Yeah, that's our opportunity. Yeah. And you would think in the 21st century you wouldn't have this problem and you would call the oil people backwards, but it's so tough to mm. put this stuff in the field and get it right. Yes, trust me. Uh, and when I you know. empty these trucks, they end up emptying with 20 PSI of air. Mm. Do you know what sort of problems that causes inside a tank? Yeah. And you have to have a device designed to be able to handle that. Mm-hmm. So No, that's fascinating. Well, yeah, again, for the listeners out there, if this device or if what we're talking about today interests you, click the link in the show notes, check them out. So the device, and for, again, for those who are listening, you can't see it. It's a little blue device. It looks like it's kind of screws on. Fits in the palm of your hand. Exactly. And so, but the threading, you obviously have to sort of add another piece to the tank to where you can thread it onto, right? No, one inch is pretty common. Okay. A lot are also two inch and they have two inch and one inch couplers. Yeah. And you just, yeah, you can even buy those at Home Depot. Sure. So you don't have to like do any welding. Uh, You don't have to do welding and you don't have to have a machinist machine something for you. So, and this is kind of just my sort of field experience kind of bringing up some curiosity. So I'm familiar with like, you know, 400 barrel tanks. And then, you know, on a drilling rig, you have tanks that sometimes they're round bottom, sometimes they're square. They have a bunch of pipe. So is that just measuring the air, sort of the gap? and The then, gap in the top going to the bottom. So how does it account for like just different shapes and sizes of inside the tank to then calculate? That is an excellent question. That's where you have sophisticated processing inside. Right. That can differentiate all the parameters in the tank. Right. Some people actually will put sensors that are on cable that goes down 
all the way in the tank and then it gets tangled in the mess in the bottom and when you fill the tank you get a jacuzzi effect because you're pushing this stuff in there yeah and to your point we got tanks with two thousand gallons of bleach in it mm-hmm. okay or a fuel depot that might have fifty-seven thousand liters of diesel fuel you sort of got to get this stuff right yeah so there's some back-end math that would have to then be incorporated into whatever it's saying if you've got you know 200 barrels in there well you have to account for you know every inch of air gap there's x amount of barrels but that you know as an average because it changes depending on well we take data once an hour yes we have caught people borrowing diesel fuel from the tank (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah i mean some people you know people hear this technology coming and they look at automation and the first thing they is my job going away they try to undermine you on occasion and some guy actually used we have an app on the cell phone he recorded from the cell phone them borrowing the 100 gallons of diesel Mm. and my customer called me and said they're complaining your thing isn't getting accurate readings yeah but what they didn't know is when you use the cell phone it reports to the back end that you use the cell phone to take that data yeah 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 interesting (laughs) no that's again fascinating technology as someone who's you know strapped countless tanks you know so do you mutters need this yeah i mean you're gonna be a customer of mine well i mean perhaps i can connect you to the right people but if there's anyone that listens to this that's connected to drilling contractors rigging this up onto your mud pits i think would go a long ways because i know the way that they do it now it's probably gotten better but it's still you know you look at pace on or whatever else that the rig has for monitoring and pit volume is always questionable at best and so you have to physically go out there and measure it with measuring tapes and then do your own straps or at least they did again it's been a minute since i've been in the field but yeah when we offline we can chat about some different avenues that you can i can take. always use another customer <laughs> <laughs> you and me both man well jim this has been an absolute fantastic conversation hopefully the listeners found it valuable one last question i have before we close out here is what's something about yourself that not many people know about do you got any you know interesting hobbies or anything kind of unique that you'd like to share oh i love to go deep sea fishing oh yeah uh, okay where's your favorite spot yeah out in the pacific ocean or the sea of cortez okay the sea of cortez is probably one of the best fishing places in the world What's the coolest fish you've ever caught? The coolest fish is a Dorado. Yeah. It, it looks exotic. Yeah. And it sort of has this blunt prehistoric face to it. Yeah. But some of the more fun fish are fighting a big tuna for oh, an yeah. hour. Oh, man. <laughs> so I've been very fortunate to fish in the Keys a few times. And tuna fishing is so much fun. And I mean, the ones I were catching were like maybe two side like two footballs put together right you know, they're not huge but i know they get pretty big obviously yeah, yeah but tuna's fun and dorado my parents retired and they built a little place in mexico and i remember going dorado fishing a couple times and it's pretty cool and one of the coolest things i ever did one of my daughter says outrigging and we went to hawaii for the big races oh yeah and there was this four-hour period and we went out and caught two marlin no doubt yeah oh yeah and then we brought one we let one go and brought the other one back for the team and we went to the restaurant and they served up the marlin from mr jones these are the best tacos i ever had i'm like yeah they ought to be (laughs) yeah no kidding that's awesome well jim again thanks and where can folks reach out i'll put the link in the show notes but where if people want to ask questions what's the best way to go yeah go riotwireless.com website yeah so you put a go in front of riot wireless 
and that's us. Yeah. Drop us a note. We'll get right back to you. Look forward to engaging with people. Good to meet you today. Yeah. This has been. Let's continue this. Yeah. This has been fun and big shout out to Thad. Hopefully everything's going well in his world today. And for all the listeners, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.